0: It's October 1307. The Knights Templar are one of the most powerful forces in Europe and are composed of some of the most fearsome soldiers in the world. But their reign has come to an end. Terrified of their enormous power, the King of France, Philip IV, has ordered the arrest of every Templar in the country. He's
1: accused them of terrible crimes, killing children, practicing occult rituals, and perverse sexual acts. These are strategic rumors meant to turn the people against the secret order.
0: The former members will be given a choice, renounce the Templars or die. Most will be tortured and some even burned at the stake.
1: But to these warrior monks, death is the price they must pay to protect
0: their secrets. They took a vow they intend to uphold. So the Templars had to plan. They'll take their riches and holy artifacts and hide them away in the countryside, far from the state's prying eyes. If the secret of this location dies with the knights, then so be it. At least their priceless relics will be safe.
1: In the centuries after the Templars were eradicated, people speculated about what became of their elusive treasure. That is, until 500 years later, when a priest named Baron J. Saunier discovered a clue in a rural French village known as
0: Rennes-le-Château.
1: You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: This is our second episode on Rennes-le-Château. This tiny hilltop village in southern France welcomes over 100,000 tourists a year. They're drawn by the legend of Berenger-Saunier, a priest whose sudden and unexplained wealth led to rumors of treasure in the area.
1: Last episode, we explained how Sonnier made a strange discovery while renovating the local church in 1891. For the next decade, he lived in luxury while never divulging the source of his riches.
0: In this episode, we'll explore a few conspiracy theories surrounding Sonnier's sudden windfall. Some believe that Saunier found treasure, holy relics, or even the recipe for turning anything into gold.
1: Other people say he uncovered an ancient order called the Priory of Sion, which was designed to protect the secrets of Jesus Christ. But perhaps Saunier was just a corrupt man who got rich the old-fashioned way by being an excellent
0: con artist. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot conspiracy. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush, money maker play the game and you could win money up to two million dollars with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to 500 money maker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly imagine
1: you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia the cia and the kgb that's where my new podcast begins this is neil strauss host of to live and die in la And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. For decades, researchers have theorized over what Baron J. Saunier found in the Church of St. Mary Magdalene in 1891, and more importantly, how it made him so rich.
0: Prior to arriving in Rennes-le-Chateau, chateau Sonnier survived on a measly salary and small donations from the parish. But after renovating the church, he began building extravagant homes and dressing his housekeeper in luxury fashions. Many were certain this wasn't a coincidence. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. Baron J. Saunier found valuable ancient treasures in or around the church. As for what that treasure was specifically, well, there are a few different ideas. According to some historians,
1: one of the probable scenarios is that Saunier found his way into the tombs of the Visigothic kings.
0: The Visigoths were a Germanic people that ruled the lands near rennes chateau in the 5th century C.E. More importantly, they reportedly had an unusual way of burying their nobility. First, they dammed and diverted a river. Then they dug underneath the riverbed and laid their kings to rest in watertight tombs. Most of all, these monarchs were dressed and buried with priceless jewels.
1: After the burial, the dams were removed and the river resumed its natural course. It was impossible to access the tomb unless someone could divert the flow of the river once again.
0: Although there was one other way. Someone could have discovered a tunnel leading to the tomb from another location. In the book, Mysteries of Templar Treasure and the Holy
1: Grail, authors Lionel and Patricia Fanthorpe posit that this may be exactly what happened to Berenger Saunière. They suggest that the priest found a tunnel into one, if not many, Visigoth tombs, in which case the parchment he found while renovating the church likely had precise instructions on how to access the burial sites.
0: We know that ruins discovered in Spain in 1858 contain Visigothic treasures like crowns, chalices, jewels, and golden crosses. So if Sonnier had discovered a pathway into a Visigoth tomb, it's likely he would have found similar treasures. It's an
1: exciting idea, but 1,300 years is a long time for a treasure to remain hidden underground. It's also pretty hard to believe that a priest with no training in archaeology was the one to uncover it. Modern treasure hunters with far more sophisticated methods have been searching the area for decades, and they haven't been able to get into any Visigoth tombs. That is, if the tombs are even there.
0: That's true. We don't have any definitive evidence that any Visigoth tombs are located near le Chateau. So it's possible that Sonier's treasures were not from the Visigoths, but perhaps from a wealthy group with even closer ties to the region, the Knights Templar. During
1: the Crusades, the Templars were at the height of their power. Some claim they were richer than kings, or maybe even the Pope himself. The Templars had a few different sources of income. Pious followers donated directly to the Templars, and they also got an incredible amount of money from new members. Many Templar knights joined the order after working as a soldier of fortune, meaning they used to fight for whichever army hired and paid them the most.
0: When they took the oath to become a Templar, though, these men gave all the money they earned to the order, and they were exempt from taxes which also helped the group amass its fortune.
1: The Templars also had their own banking system, which stretched across Europe and the Middle East.
0: Meaning a noble could deposit money at a Templar castle in France, where they'd receive a written receipt. Then they could exchange that receipt for cash when they arrived in, say, Jerusalem. They also charged people to make deposits and withdrawals, much like a medieval ATM fee.
1: A powerful brotherhood that stretches across borders certainly sounds like an organization capable of concealing treasures, but it doesn't necessarily mean they brought them to Rennes-le-Chateau.
0: Sure, but let's look at how the Templars transported and guarded their treasures. We know that the Templars' headquarters were in Jerusalem in a place called Temple Mount, one of the holiest worship sites in the world. Allegedly, this
1: temple was where they housed priceless relics. Things like the Holy Grail and the Shroud of Turin, the fabric said to have wrapped Jesus' body after the crucifixion. Allegedly, it was also home to the Ark of the Covenant, the chest containing the original Ten Commandments. These items would have needed to be protected at all costs.
0: One of the biggest threats to this treasure came in 1187 CE, when the Sultan of Egypt led a Muslim army to take over Jerusalem. Outnumbered, the Templars fled to the coastal city of Akko in modern-day Israel. It seems incredible to think they escaped Jerusalem with these treasures without being slaughtered, unless they had secret underground tunnels. Well, in 2019, a National
1: Geographic documentary confirmed that the Templars did have tunnels underneath the so-called treasure tower at Akko.
0: In fact, one of those tunnels extended from the fortress at Akko to the city's port, allowing for easy escape in the event of a raid.
1: From there, some believe the Templars' treasures were taken to a fortress in Paris. But after King Philip IV's crackdown in 1307 CE, they just vanished.
0: We do know there was a rumored Templar castle not far from Rennes-le-Chateau. It's possible that the Templars dug similar tunnels and caves in the mountains around the village. These could connect the two locations in case of another raid. So maybe what Sonier found was a clue, leading him to the treasure's location. The problem is,
1: there's nothing in Saunier's biography that points to a Templar's secret or treasure specifically in Rennes-le-Chateau. It seems more likely that this has been propagated by theorists who believe that because the items were last seen in France, there must be a connection between them and the priest.
0: I agree that the connection here is a little thin. But the Templar castle wasn't the only stronghold near the village. Not far from rennes le chateau is Montségur, a fortress that once belonged to the Cathars. This religious sect rejected Catholicism in favor of more mystical beliefs. According to legend,
1: the Cathars may have discovered their own source of incredible wealth, one that Sonier then stumbled upon for himself, alchemy.
0: Science, as we know it, dictates the only way to transform one element into another is through nuclear reactions or radioactive decay. But in the Middle Ages, many people still sought a magic formula that could turn lead into gold. It's extremely unlikely,
1: but some
0: theorists say
1: there's a chance someone in history may have found a loophole to make alchemy work, like a naturally occurring source of radiation.
0: When the Catholics attacked the Cathars in 1244 CE, some of them admitted under torture that they'd found a source for unlimited money. Many historians believe they were alluding to this alchemical process. There were
1: also rumors that the Cathars escaped with, quote, treasures of their faith, Dr. Arthur Gurdem, an expert on the Cathars, suggests these might have included coded manuscripts containing the secret to
0: alchemy. And if those documents were smuggled out of Montségur, they could have easily been taken to Rennes-le-Chateau, about 30 miles away. The Visigoths, the Templars, and the Cathars are just
1: three possible sources for Saunière's wealth. All three groups were known to have wealth and artifacts, and they all operated near Rennes-le-Chateau. But as far as professional investigations go, there's only been one official hunt to validate Saunière's discovery.
0: In 2003, a team led by archeologist Robert Eisenman used radar technology to scan the ground beneath the tour magdala, the tower Saunière built at the height of his fortune their instruments did pick up an anomaly. One they theorized was a wooden trunk. A year
1: or two later, the town's mayor allowed a team to search for and excavate the anomaly. However, as soon as the team came close to the mysterious object, the mayor insisted they stop digging.
0: Conspiracy theorists believe this was evidence of a cover-up. They speculated that there was a box of some kind underneath the tour magdala, possibly containing important documents, and the mayor either didn't want it to be found, or secretly took it for himself when no one was looking. But we can't say for sure. The treasure theory may be a clean
1: explanation for Saunier's wealth. But not a single person has found evidence that he discovered something of value specifically from the Cathars, the Visigoths, or the Templars. And even if these groups did leave behind treasure, I don't believe that a local priest was the one to stumble upon it hundreds of years later. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I'll give this theory a 3. If a Visigoth tomb, the Ark of the Covenant, or the formula for gold were known to Saunier, they'd probably be public by now. We live in the age of the internet, and there's money to be made from exhibiting these items.
0: But history is full of accidental discoveries. I still think it's possible that Saunier found some kind of treasure during his lifetime. There are reports that while renovating the church, Saunier found a pot of gold coins— Sure, it's not as glamorous, but it still counts, which is why I'll give this theory a four.
1: But if there aren't holy relics and precious jewels buried under Rennes-le-Chateau, then it doesn't quite make sense why his late housekeeper, Marie Dinarneau claimed the townspeople were walking on gold.
0: Perhaps she was speaking metaphorically. Maybe the real treasure was valuable information.
1: Coming up, a secret organization hides the truth about Jesus Christ.
0: Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and I'm hosting the new limited series, Hollywood Scandals. We all know that Tinseltown is the land of glitz and glamour, but look closer past the allure of bright lights and red carpets. There, you'll find a more disturbing tale one filled with tragedies and transgressions so damaging they've turned hopes and dreams into high-profile nightmares. Every Monday on this Spotify original, discover the real-life dramas of some of entertainment's biggest names. From the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood and the murder trials of comedian Fatty Arbuckle to the star clients of Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss. Each episode of Hollywood Scandals has been curated from shows across the ParCast network, covering over a century's worth of controversies, from the silent era into the digital age. Fame and fortune may be fleeting, but scandals, they stand the test of time. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Hollywood Scandals. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story.
1: After decades of digging by amateurs and experts alike, no evidence of treasure has been found inside the French town of Rennes-le-Chateau. But there may be another explanation for Berenger Saunière's sudden cash windfall.
0: Maybe instead of selling what he found, he was paid to keep it quiet because what he discovered was an 1,800-year-old secret no one wanted to go public.
1: Which leads us to our second conspiracy theory. Berenger Saunier discovered evidence of a holy bloodline descended from Jesus Christ.
0: In part one, we talked about the Priory of Sion, a secret organization that supposedly helped establish the Knights Templar. For hundreds of years, the Priory was said to have protected Jesus' descendants. And when Saunier caught on to the secret, either the Priory or the Vatican paid him to keep it under wraps.
1: Authors Pierre Plantard and Gerard de Sede said that they found evidence of the Priory's existence in the National Library of France. The collection of documents, known as the Dossier Secrets, included genealogies, letters, a list of Priory Grandmasters, and copies of the parchments Saunier found in the church. Plantar and Desaide then wrote a book based on their findings called The Gold of Wren in 1967.
0: About two years later, writer Henry Lincoln found a code in Sonnier's documents while reading The Gold of Wren. From there, he speculated that Jesus and Mary had a child, who was transported from the Holy Land and hidden for safety in Rennes-le-Château.
1: But there are more than a few issues with the evidence presented in both
0: Lincoln's work and The Gold of Rennes. In one chapter of The Gold of Rennes, it's said that Saunier visited the Louvre in 1891, shortly after making his discovery of the church. There, he supposedly bought a reproduction of a painting by artist Nicolas Poussin. Allegedly,
1: the coded message Sonier found inside the church's altar had practically mentioned this painting by name.
0: Its image shows a tomb with a hill in the background. A very similar-looking tomb in front of a very similar-looking hill was found only a few miles from Rennes-le-Château in a town called Arc. This led many to believe that Poussin's painting was based on that exact spot, and perhaps he was helping to protect whatever secrets lay there. But there's a problem with this anecdote. The
1: Louvre apparently didn't sell reproductions back in the 19th century, when Saunière supposedly visited. Meaning, he could have looked at the painting, but there's no way he brought a copy back to Rennes-le-Château to study and decode and there's no record of Poussin the painter ever visiting Rennes-le-Chateau. He spent most of his life working in Rome and had no apparent reason to go to the quaint village. The visual similarity is likely just a coincidence.
0: Although there was one other connection between this painting and Rennes-le-Chateau, the inscription written on the painting's tomb, Et in Arcadia Ego, The same words were also said to be found on the gravestone of Marie Blanchefort, a woman buried in Rennes-le-Chateau Cemetery. Now, that's either an incredible coincidence or an intentional clue. Or the connection itself is a lie. If you remember in
1: part one, Berenger Saunier supposedly damaged this headstone and its inscription people believe this was his way of covering his tracks or destroying clues. But since Marie's gravestone no longer bears the inscription today, the only thing we can work off of is a 19th century drawing of Marie's headstone referenced in the book, The Gold of Wren. In
0: 1996, an investigative series called Time Watch looked into the legitimacy of this drawing. In the episode, writer Pierre Jarnac points out that The Gold of Wren features evidence from various 19th-century illustrations, all from an artist named Eugene Stublin. But Jarnac found another
1: book by Stublin called A Trip to Thermal Establishments. And Stublin's signature on the drawings in his own publication, compared to the ones referenced in The Gold of Wren, don't match
0: meaning the illustrations cited in the Gold of Rennes were forgeries. They were fabricated by De Desaides or Plantard as a way to validate their findings. Other than this counterfeit picture, there's no evidence linking Marie Blanchefort's headstone to the Poussin painting. As for
1: Marie Blanchefort herself, we told you in part one that her husband's family could trace its lineage back to the Crusades. In fact, conspiracy theorists believe she is the one who first exposed the priory's secret
0: in Rennes-le-Chateau. According to legend, she passed it along to a town priest named Antoine Bigou on her deathbed. And some say Bigou is the one who wrote the parchment that Saunière later found in the church of Mary Magdalene.
1: But when writer Henry Lincoln and other theorists make this connection, they're basing it on a critical misunderstanding. The truth is, Marie Blanchefort's husband's family wasn't connected to the Templars at all. They had him confused with another Blanchefort who actually was the 6th Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. So Marie couldn't have exposed a secret she didn't have any knowledge of.
0: That's fair. But let's take a closer look at the evidence that Plantar allegedly found in the National Library. It included Sonier's found parchments, a family tree of the Merovingian dynasty, and a list of all the Grandmasters of the Priory of Sion. The Grandmaster list
1: included luminaries like mathematician Sir Isaac Newton, poet Victor Hugo, and author Jean Cocteau. But it listed Pierre Plantard as the current Grand Master. Which is strange, because if this were true, you'd think Plantar would have already known about these secrets
0: long before
1: he'd made this discovery.
0: Well, it got more suspicious when another document revealed Plantard as the Grand Master. This one was the organization's registration papers with the French government. In 1901, France passed a law requiring all associations to file official paperwork. Lo and behold, the Priory of Sion, led by Plantard, submitted its forms in 1956, a decade before the Gold of Rennes was published. So, if the Priory
1: of Sion had existed for hundreds of years, it seems strange that they waited all the way until the 1950s to give the government their mailing address. Most secret societies stay hidden because they don't leave a paper
0: trail. The Priory of Sion wasn't really this ancient secret order at all. It started out as a political club run by Pierre Plantard himself, Then, in the early 1960s, he read about the mystery of Rennes-le-Chateau and decided to create an elaborate hoax, one that could position him as both the rightful king of France and the leader of a powerful religious order. Plantard was a devout Catholic and a supporter of fascism, who reportedly wanted a holy king to rule both the Vatican and all of Europe.
1: To back up this claim, Plantar recruited an actor and artist named Philippe de Cherizet. De Chirizet then forged the genealogies, documents, letters, and parchments that were eventually deposited in France's National Library. Meanwhile, Plantar falsified the list of Grandmasters, and he fabricated the false genealogy that listed himself as a descendant of the Merovingian kings. His plan was to make himself look important, so he could shape the nation the way he saw fit.
0: And for a while, the plan worked. The duo even hid secret messages in Baron J. Saunier's parchments, hoping someone would find them and run with the clues. Which is exactly what happened to the unsuspecting writer, Henry Lincoln. From there,
1: Desed and Plantar fed Lincoln more false information. This was in hopes that he would come to the conclusions they wanted him to. Namely, that the Priory was real and that Plantar was its powerful Grandmaster. But Plantar just wanted to look important so he could advance his agenda.
0: However, we will note that Lincoln's theories about Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and a holy bloodline from their child were actually not part of Plantar's original plan. Lincoln was the one who decided the Priory must be protecting secrets about the Merovingians and that they'd intermarried with the descendants of Jesus.
1: But of course, there is no hard evidence that Jesus ever had children or was married, let alone to Mary Magdalene. The only thing Lincoln could point to were the documents from the National Library.
0: Pierre Plantard admitted to the hoax in court in 1993. He said that everything in the dossier was a forgery.
1: So while the Catholic Church may have its secrets, The Priory of Scion wasn't the entity protecting them. And Baron J. Sauniere couldn't make money off of something that didn't exist in the first place. So I give this theory a 1 out of 10.
0: But maybe that's what the Priory wants you to think. Despite all the evidence that this was a hoax, this theory still has some believers. They say that the Priory of Sion, or some similar organization, does exist. They're just operating in the shadows. They believe this entire story is a way to spread the truth about Jesus Christ and his living bloodline. Knowing that there are so many obvious fakes, forgeries, and lies here, though, that makes it impossible to give this theory much weight. I'll give it a two out of ten.
1: As tempting as it is to go down these rabbit holes, we need something a little more realistic, like the fact that Baron J. Sonnier was a liar, a cheat, and may have blackmailed his way into being extremely rich.
0: Coming up, the dark truth behind Baron J. Sonnier.
1: Now back to the story.
0: Based on forged documents by Plantar and DeSed, author Henry Lincoln claimed that Jesus had survived the crucifixion and escaped to France with Mary Magdalene. Lincoln believed that Saunier found evidence of this holy bloodline and may have been paid off by the Vatican to keep it quiet.
1: But from what we know, it seems like the priests didn't stumble upon valuable information in regards to Jesus Christ.
0: Which isn't to say that he didn't leverage other secrets to make his money. Which brings us to our final and most plausible conspiracy theory. Baron J. Saunier was a con artist.
1: Last episode, we touched briefly on the trial that dominated the later years of Saunier's life. If you remember, he was accused of something called trafficking in masses— But let's take a closer look at what those charges were and whether they can explain his sudden wealth.
0: According to the rules of the Catholic Church, family members of the sick or deceased can pay a priest to give Mass in that person's honor. An existing service like a Sunday Mass can be dedicated to the honoree, or another Mass can be added specifically for them.
1: Technically, all it costs is an optional donation to the Church. Today, the suggested donation is around $10. In Saunier's day, it was maybe one franc, probably about $5 today.
0: There have always been strict limits on saying Mass in exchange for payment. For example, priests aren't supposed to take donations from two families and only say one Mass, essentially doubling up. And they're not supposed to perform these services more than three times in a day.
1: According to Brian Houghton, author of History's Mysteries, Baron J. Sonnier took this scheme to its limit. He advertised himself in newspapers and magazines around the world. He took in hundreds of payments at a time. It's said that he received up to 150 letters per day requesting mass, and each of those requests contained money.
0: If Sonnier were to satisfy all of the inquiries, it meant he would have been saying masses around the clock, which was, of course, impossible. But Houghton suggests that Sonier didn't even try to fulfill every order. In fact, he didn't spend that much time in church whatsoever. Instead, he traveled the world and entertained friends by hosting lavish parties.
1: We should mention that although this is unethical and against the rules, Saunier wasn't known as a bad guy. People in Rennes-le-Chateau actually seemed to like and respect him.
0: After all, he used some of his wealth to benefit the people. He decorated the church, built an orangery, and fixed up the public gardens. It was only when the new bishop took power that rumors of Saunier's corruption began flying.
1: And in 1910, he was finally asked to appear in ecclesial court. Saunier's lawyer argued that some of his income came from donations, not masses. And when Saunier received a request for a mass he didn't have time for, he forwarded the money to another priest for fulfillment.
0: Supposedly, Saunier kept a ledger of all the mass requests he received. He also provided the receipts for a lot of his spending, but the numbers didn't add up. Unfortunately, the court couldn't prove the missing money didn't come from donations like Saunier claimed it had, so instead they charged him with negligence. So yes,
1: Berenger Saunier did participate in mass trafficking, but there's no evidence he did it illegally.
0: Although researchers estimate that the money he earned from trafficking only accounted for about one-fifth of his income— the rest he may have procured through more unsavory channels.
1: Sonier claimed to have many wealthy, anonymous donors that helped him get rich. But if these benefactors gave to Saunier out of the goodness of their hearts, then in theory, they would have come forward to defend him during his trial. But no one ever did.
0: Some historians speculate that's because they weren't donating, they were being extorted. It's possible that Saunier may have been using the confessional to elicit dark details about people's lives, and he may have later blackmailed them for cash.
1: If Saunier did engage in blackmail or extortion, he might have been involved with the Habsburg family of Austria.
0: Saunier was known to travel often, and it's said he met with important dignitaries, including the noble Habsburgs. According to Henry Lincoln's research, Johann von Habsburg, the Archduke of Austria, regularly sent Sonnier money. The thing is, no one is sure what his reasoning was. This has led many to suspect that Sonnier was blackmailing him or that they may have been in on some other scheme together.
1: We also know that the Archduke visited Rennes-le-Chateau on more than one occasion which is a bit odd, since the man had no business in the small town that we can tell.
0: The corruption theory is compelling, but it only explains the wealth part of this mystery. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the discovery Saunier made in the actual church, or the other strange and covert practices he did during his lifetime.
1: Well, maybe he wasn't that mysterious after all. Let's take another look at the evidence suggesting Saunière had nefarious intentions, like when he wrote the word secret next to the murdered priest, Antoine Jalisse, in his diary.
0: This was shortly after Saunière made his so-called discovery. For years, theorists have posited that, during a meeting with Jalisse and other clergymen, Saunière may have learned an important secret from them. Or perhaps he told them about the treasure he was trying to conceal. Either way, conspiracy theorists point to this note in his diary as evidence that something larger was happening.
1: But there's another, much easier to swallow explanation. Secret was shorthand for the French word for secretary. As we mentioned in part one, we know Bishop Biarr had sent his secretary to the meeting, This could have just been Saunier's way of jotting down the guest list.
0: But that's not all. Some theorists believe that Saunier's choice in church decor was another telling detail that something was amiss. Like the demon statue inside the church of St. Mary Magdalene's entrance. One specifically meant to guard treasure. And over the door hangs a plaque reading Terribles Est Locus Este, or... This place is terrible. Ominous details like this could still point to a bigger mystery.
1: Not necessarily. The devil could be a reference to the money from the mass trafficking. And terribilis est locus este can be translated to This place is terrible or This place is awesome. This quote actually comes from Genesis chapter 28 verse 17. It reads, quote, He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, end quote. So it probably wasn't an admission of guilt, rather a common Bible quote.
0: While the idea that Sonier's wealth came from mass trafficking or blackmail doesn't answer some of the more bizarre questions, like why he would dig up the local graveyard, I will admit it's the most logical solution of them all. For that reason, I give this theory a nine out of 10.
1: I'll agree with that rating of nine. It seems like Saunière did make a strange discovery back in 1891, and maybe we'll never know exactly what that was. As for how he got his money, the documented evidence we have points to corruption.
0: Ever since Saunier's discovery, the mystery of Rennes-le-Château has spawned its own cottage industry. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been made from books, movies, and TV specials drawing inspiration from the priest and his unexplained fortune.
1: So maybe Saunier's story was the real treasure all along. Which, however troublesome that legacy is, still sustains the town's tourism industry today.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
0: And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lizzie Logan, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.
0: Hey there, Carter again. Before you go, remember to check out my new podcast limited series, Hollywood Scandals. In anticipation of the Oscars, we're unearthing some of the most sordid controversies in showbiz history. Tune in every Monday. Follow Hollywood Scandals free only on Spotify.